We're about to discuss a view from the bridge and other things here on Broadway Breakdown. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Broadway Breakdown. The Battle of Yorktown. 1781. Oh, I was going to say 1776. No. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> Hi, I'm your host, Jackie Borowski. I'm here with my good friend, literally good friend from childhood, Alan Sizzler Kistler. Um, I've known him for forever, and you guys might know him as a comic book historian. I actually know him as an actor. Um, we did theater in high school. We were in... Um, a wonderful production of The Crucible in which I played Sarah Good. We made it um, wonderful. How dare you? <laughs> we did make it wonderful. It was very. It was a very high tech and well lauded production. I, not really, but um, but I was a drunk hobo and yes. you were a reverend. Yes, I was. I was parish. Right, and one of our friends was his daughter. Paris. Yes. Yeah. It, it's. Uh, yeah. It was. It was a great time. That was. That was really the, the first time I had acted fully on a stage outside of improv or or sketches i'm so like, pleased to hear that yeah yeah and uh no it, it that was the beginning of our our love of arthur or my love of arthur miller certainly arthur miller you know what he um i have right here the miller centennial he wrote a lot of plays um i didn't realize it, <laughs> and it was loved marilyn monroe and loved marilyn monroe and um and doing research for this i you know i had known a lot of miller's plays and uh some of Miller's background because I'm a huge like Marilyn Monroe fan. So <laughs> I knew him. This is one of those weird instances where I like knew him tangentially to Marilyn Monroe, but he's mm-hmm. a good, really wonderful award winning, winning writer in his own right. But um, before we get into that, um, I would be weirdly remiss if I didn't mention um, a current news item that is happening that had that happened two nights ago or three nights ago now two nights ago um where mike pence the vice president-elect went to go see hamilton he was booed and some cheered sort of by the audience let's clarify that yeah by the audience um and then after the play the um one of the actors brandon victor dixon um who was who plays um Aaron Burr. Uh, Aaron Burr. He he kind of made a made a plea to him to say, "Hey, you know, you came. You're open minded enough to come see this play. Um, we we have a plea also, to you to represent all Americans." And also, he welcomed him. He did. He, he welcomed did. him. It's like we. I see you walking away, Vice President Elect Pence. He spoke with uh, recognition and respect of the title of the man's title, and when other people started booing at the fact that Mike Pence was walking away. Perhaps they were merely booing at Mike Pence. He and Javier Munoz, who plays Alexander Hamilton now, immediately called for the audience not to boo. And I I, I found that very classy, very respectful. And it's upsetting to see that, you know, it's not even a Republican-Democrat thing. Like, uh, I, I saw someone who I know... Uh, voted for for Hillary talking on someone else's Facebook about did they have to boo Mike Pence like you know you know chase him off during intermission I mean I understand that I was like what are you what what no they didn't boo him audience members booed him the cast said stop and it wasn't during intermission that Mike Pence left he stayed for the entire show no one said he couldn't watch the show he watched it and then he left 
at Curtain Call. And now and, Mike Pence, uh, Mike Pence actually did an interview. I, I think it was last night or early this morning, where um, where he where he was asked about this incident, and because Donald Trump has now since tweeted like, "You have to apologize," you know, the to theater the, to the cast of to Hamilton. the cast of Hamilton, you have to apologize and the apologize theater, for welcoming him and right. asking people not to boo. Right, I realize this is insane, but yeah. um, and okay. that theater should be a safe space and. Yada, 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 which is wrong, which is like if for anyone uh, who has ever studied the history of theater um, or knows anything about the history of theater, I'm just going to give you a name, Bertolt Brecht. Just look him up, look him up and see that the theater of history is not a safe space. And I'm not even saying that they weren't treating him with respect. Like, which no, is, they were, which is they were. And to his credit, Mike Pence said uh, he said he wasn't offended. He said he he did listen to them from offstage or outside or where he heard the whole thing, that, okay. the whole speech. Um, and he said uh, he said that he said to his daughter and his daughter's uh, cousins or whoever was was with him that um, about the booze. He said that's democracy in action, and that is the message we need to have here. Is that like to begin with? Theater in America, the thing that's so beautiful about theater in America is that we have such visceral, like, responses to things. We boo a lot. We applaud a lot. We cry openly. And, you know, I, I studied theater in England, and I, I interviewed one of the actresses in the Royal Shakespeare Company. And she said, we're going on tour to uh, to, to America, and we're stopping in the Kennedy Center. And I, I told her, I have tickets to see your show again in the Kennedy Center. I said, what... What are you excited about from from this tour? Like, what do you want to see from an American audience? And she said, you know what I like to see? I would love to have a standing ovation because I've never had one in England. And she said... That's that, true. UK audience does not yeah. express emotion the same way American and audiences that's, do. And that is what she said. She said, um, I, I just love that the Americans express their emotions so openly at the theater. And that, I mean, I think that is a credit to our democracy that we feel comfortable expressing our emotions. And I'm sorry, but it's if you're telling people that they can't boo or that they can't, um, and not that I would take that choice, I, I do think it's disrespectful, but um, if you're telling audience members how to behave at the theater, you're basically, you, you know, taking away I mean, their freedom of speech. The, li the line is, does it disrupt the show? Right. And it right. didn't. It didn't. It didn't. And no one, no one was like throwing uh, remarks to him during the show. No one was preventing him and those with him from watching the show. Exactly. And I, I mean, the other, the only other thing Mike Pence said was he was like, the only thing I leave open to question was whether that was the right venue to do it. And it was, you're going to see a play that's about the birth of democracy in America. That's about debate. There's literally like a scene where there's a rap debate. Yeah. Multiple. You're, yeah. yeah. You're, you're asking, you know, you're asking for it, basically. I'm not I'm not trying to say that, like, you should be attacked, which he wasn't. But you should, if you go to see a certain play, you might want to expect certain things. And to me, when I, I actually saw the tweets coming in that Mike Pence was at the theater, and my initial thought was, I hope the cast says something to him. Well, also, one, one thing we haven't mentioned is uh, Mike Pence... Along with, uh, and I'm not talking about anything he's done in the past week. Uh, you know, I'm talking about in the past, his record shows he has advocated for gay conversion therapy and he has uh, reduced funding for HIV research. And Javier Munoz, who plays Alexander Hamilton, as I mentioned earlier, is an openly gay man and HIV positive. So for them 
to ignore this opportunity to speak to someone who has actively worked against things that would very much concern the lead, much less anyone else who simply cares about those issues because they care. You know, that's absurd. And especially I saw one one person complain, well, I don't think they should have politicized the the showing of the play. Like, it's Hamilton. <laughs> of course it's politicized. The entire thing is a discussion about what is actually behind our country. There's a whole song that involves the Federalist Papers, and if it's necessary or even desired to explain the Constitution and the amendments. Like, what... This is such a perfect venue. And again, they actually didn't go into anything. Like, I saw people like, well, what do they know about policy? Policy was not discussed. Diplomatic relations with other uh, countries was not discussed. Gun rights were not discussed. Nothing... It was Other literally than... just a plea to say, hey, you're coming here, you're enjoying our show, which is racially diverse, which yes. has a lead actor who um, who is HIV positive and is gay. Yes. We're just asking that you hear us out. Yes, because in the past, like, you know, if, if, that, if that actor, Javier Munoz, were in his state, in Pence's state, he might have wondered, is someone going to try to put electroshock to me to cure me? Like that's, I I don't see how you wouldn't take that opportunity I and, do, but, and I to do, do that with yeah, class. Yeah, they did it with such class. I do think it's valid, and the, I mean this is the history of theater. It's valid to ask your elected representatives to to represent you. Um, and theater and fiction is supposed to provoke reactions. Yes, it is. Yes. So um, having said that, I know I, I I have made fun of Hamilton on this brought on this um, platform before, and it's out of love. It's out of love and it's out of I have the utmost respect for Lynn and I have the utmost respect for the cast but the only thing I think that really makes me sad about Hamilton is I see people that and I've seen it on our own show where people come out in droves for Hamilton but they don't necessarily come out for other shows or they don't show their support for other theater mm-hmm. and those actors that you know and love that are in Hamilton they didn't come out of a void they've been yeah. they've been doing this for a long time and a lot of them have their their own you know, productions going on. A lot of them will be in other productions. So my yeah. my plea here today is, um, if you if you love Hamilton and or you have a friend who loves Hamilton and just loves Hamilton, play the game that I like to play, which is like, if you like Hamilton, you might like blank. Yeah. Um, and I've introduced other friends to other types of theater that they might like out of um, out of their love for Hamilton. I, I'm like, hey, there's you know, Lynn wrote a whole another musical. You can yeah, see. in the Heights. Um, so. That's all I'm going to ask today. And in that spirit, like we're going to discuss Arthur Miller's um, A View from the Bridge, which Arthur Miller was um, Polish Jew, Polish Jewish. Um, So he's coming from a non-privileged background in in his time. Um, He was, I'm trying to find my notes, but he was um, brought before the House of Un-American Activities. So he was... He was thought to be a communist, or he was accused of being a communist. As many artists were. Just As on many the, artists were. Just in that. because, again, art provokes reaction. Right. Exactly. And so he comes. He comes from this background um, where he used his plays to kind of speak about his position. And you'll see with "In a View from the Bridge," um, it's a story about a family that welcomes in some Italian. It's an Italian family. They welcome in some Italian immigrant relatives of theirs and um it's about what what happens to them throughout that and in the end um they're 
well, throughout, I should say, there's this worry of informing that we still have today. It's it's amazing how this play that was written in 1955 um, still has relevance today, where you have this notion of these people want to come here from another country, their country, they can't get jobs in their country, and jobs here are ready for the taking, so they come to this country and they want to work. And we see this today, just, uh, we see this with, with other types of immigrants, not necessarily Italian-Americans, or not Italians anymore. Um, but we have in this play the notion of kind of like ratting out your neighbor, which is something that was happening in the artist community of that time, but with communism. So you had people um, being like, well, don't look at me. He's a communist. He's a communist. He's a communist. And you saw it with the Hollywood blacklist. Yeah. Um, so you have these, you have these periods of, of, uh, of history and some of it we're experiencing today where you have this kind of anxiety and you have this writer who's writing about his experience, maybe not in such a blatant way, but in a way that it's like, uh, we need to really pay attention to this. Also, I mean, it's, it's the house of un-American activities committee and, and McCarthyism in general, like, like I said, it spurred this whole fear of of uh not just discovery but of of looking around to see if someone you knew was doing something that would be viewed as un-american or wrong because you don't want to be associated with that you don't want to be seen as guilty by association um and then some people who are just pointing out like well no don't look at me look at them because blah 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 and one of the sad ironies of that is that that's how stalin uh rose to power with with the soviet union was to talk about that it's not about the individual, it's about the state. And so it was your duty to look at others and report to the state who was not a proper citizen and who, who was not um, doing what was right for the good of the country, who was for some reason looking out for their own self-interest. It's that sad irony that, that McCarthyism actually mimicked that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, it absolutely is, is relevant today. And, and we should point out that the two borders, the two... Uh, Folks from from Italy, Rodolfo and Marco, were also they were here illegally, which is why there was such a great the fear of discovery. Yes, that they were bordering uh, illegally, and and although Rodolfo does mention he he will apply for citizenship, Marco is intending only to be here for a few months and then to go back. He's just that desperate to send money to his family. And I mean, we see this we see the same thing happening in today's society, like sure. I said, and and you have people that. Um, some of them really want to be citizens, but there's not a easy or viable path to citizenship. And it's just, it, it was so, I saw um, Evo Van Hove's um, touring production that came to LA. It's at the Kennedy Center right now, if you, um, you want to see it. It's there till December, I believe. Um, and hopefully it will be touring to other areas. It won a Tony Award um, this year. And it was... It was interesting to me because watching it, I guess, you know, when watching a play and when reading a play, you get two different senses. But it really struck me when watching it. And I I was thinking, we're experiencing this today. You know, we have people who um, you talk about Rodolfo who thinks, OK, well, you know, I, I if I marry this girl, I have a path to citizenship. But that's not. But he's explaining to her, I'm not marrying you just because I want a path of citizenship. I'm marrying you because I love you 
and because I, you know, I, I get this. And and we're and if if we get married, we should stay here because there's right. no. He he talks about that. You know that. Right. It's not that it, it, he's against going back to Italy. Like he wants to be married, and he'll be married to her wherever. But the fact is, there is work in the U.S. And there's a reason he left Italy. Right. And it's it's this beautiful scene to me where he says, I don't want to steal your face. Meaning that she, he, he thinks she will age so rapidly and look so horrible from the <laughs> like poverty and, and whatnot in Italy. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the life will drain from her. And the life will drain from her. Yeah. And so it, it just struck me because I kept thinking, this is what, like, we have people experiencing this today. We have people who, who want to live here and want to work because there is work here. Because, um, because they, want, they want to be a part of our community. And then, you know, in this past election, immigration became yeah. a, a huge talking point well, also i mean it's it, for adolfo it's not even just work it's specifically american culture he wants to be a oh, part yeah. of it's american pop culture he wants to be on broadway and he, it's so you know what it's so funny that you bring that up because um we we have today where a lot of older people and this has happened to me a lot are telling millennials you and i are millennials that um you guys don't know what you're talking about like all millennials want to do is be famous and i'm like have you looked at history? Literally every young person in history has wanted to be famous. And it was so wonderful to see a play from 1955 where you have a guy who's like, I love Hollywood, Broadway, yeah. blah, blah. I'm like, this is not a new thing. Yeah. Like, Hollywood has been obsessed. People have been obsessed with Hollywood since Hollywood was Hollywood. Yeah. It's not It's not new to millennials. Um, and it, it just takes for a second to step back and to say, hey, like, History happens. History sometimes repeats itself. It's yeah. cyclical. Like these things are, these ideas are not new. These concepts are not new. Um, and then, you know, you brought up, we have another um, thing we can discuss as far as the, the main character, Eddie. Eddie, yeah. He, and I said this when I was watching the play, it's, I was so hung up on whether or not he was bisexual. And I don't, I don't know why that was. I was like, okay, so is he like a, um, a, what is it? Like a child creeper? <laughs> like the word is escaping me. Pedophile. Pedophile. Child creeper. It's the official term. But um, <laughs> yeah, you have you have this. Well, he is he a pedophile? But or is he really gay? Because he seems to be attracted to Rodolfo. Right. Because I mean, and and that's the thing that that is a that is a very strong distinction. I mean, yeah, there's. Gay people are not more prone to pedophilia, mm-hmm. like by any means. Like no, I the, don't want to. I don't want to be saying right, that. Right? No, no. You, no. Yeah. You talked about like or, like right. you know that there, there are different ways you can you can approach it, and it even so, like throughout the play, like Eddie, Eddie's fawning over uh, Catherine, Katie, and when Rodolfo shows up, you know, young, handsome, blonde kid, really the only guy Katie's been talking to that's her age, because Eddie's kept her. Yeah. In the house. She's never been allowed to go out and get a job and, and like make other friends outside of the neighborhood. And you know, at that that sanctity, that that sort of fortress Eddie's built around her is threatened by these two boarders who are literally in his home. And 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 he obviously has a problem with this. And it's it's how exactly he has a problem with this that is the interpretation. And I mean the text brings up you know, when one first he talks to the lawyer Alfieri about this guy ain't right, and he's dancing around it, but basically he's saying, "I think Rodolfo's gay," 
uh, on evidence that in some audiences brings laughter. Because his evidence is like, he's too blonde. And he sings. He sings. <laughs> and he he sings too much. He hits the, he, his notes he hits, they're too high. He cooks and he knew how to, how to fix a dress. And, and therefore, and, and depending on how they play it and how the audience is, that scene can either get reactions of, what the hell is he talking about? Or just outright laughter. When it's like, you know, we hit those high notes. And Alfieri's like, that's a tenor. Like, no, I know a tenor. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like that. I think it's a hilarious line. But, but, uh, and, and then he brings up, he only wants her for a passport. But he's really hung up on sexuality. Mm-hmm. And, and brings it up to his wife, Beatrice. And, and later tries to, to prove it by planting a kiss on Rodolfo during a fight. And again, this is up to interpretation because it, it depends on the director and the actor about whether that kiss looks passionate or is clearly just, I'm pressing my lips against you and and it's it, this is meant as an accusation. I'm meant to show that you like it because I don't like all this. It, it really depends on how the actor and the director plays it. But with all that, yeah, I think, and it's, it's not just you, many people have wondered, um, is he gay and his feelings for... Katie are a possession, and he keeps yeah. talking about how he his, or or he his wife keeps talking about how she he's not sleeping with her. And yeah. then, as an audience member, you're like, "Well, is he not sleeping with her because he's in love with the niece who's living with right. their niece who's living with them, uh, Katie. Katie? Or is is he doing it because he's in love with Rodolfo? It's this very like, or or even before Rodolfo arrives, like because it's it's been three months. Uh, Oh, that's they, right. Yes. They talk about and but the timeline is not really clear of like how how long is during that time has Rodolfo been around or something. But either way, it could be struggling with feelings of bisexuality or homosexuality. Um, and again, like even with with those even aside, what are the feelings about Katie? Is it an infatuation? Is it um, a possession? Uh, or is it that now that she's of a sexual age now that she has like grown she's not a woman yet she's still a teenager but she's gone through puberty like she is seen as a young woman now she's seen as like it's not unheard of that she would decide to get married now so that all translates to woman despite her youth now is it a sexual desire right. and and people different directors and and uh Actors have different interpretations of that. Uh, and you talked about Mark, Mark Strong um, played Eddie in Yvonne Vandenhove's, uh, on the in the original Broadway show, which is not the version I saw right. because I saw a touring cast, so I didn't get to see him bummed out. Yeah, and he, totally. he played him at, uh, at the showing of, of The View from the Bridge at the, old, at the Young Vic in London. And uh, yeah, but he, he has an interview you can find it on YouTube where he talks about... Uh, that he has seen interpretations where Eddie is played as a sexual predator um, and that reading over the text, he just doesn't see it that way. He sees that there's a certain romantic infatuation, but romance and, and sex are not necessarily uh, the same thing. And and that it is like this almost romantic possession and, and what Katie means to him symbolically. Uh, and And that it's like even even the hint of that that could be then shifting into a sexual desire is still so disgusting to him that that's part of what causes his breakdown later 
in in the climax of the play because he definitely so much of this of this play is is about denial and so that's part mm-hmm. of why we can't really tag certain things about eddie because he's an unreliable narrator yes and i mean he doesn't narrate technically but anything he tells us is right. unreliable he is so about his self-delusion he's so much about posturing and about seeming proper which is funny people. because this is not funny, but which is interesting because this is a theme throughout a lot of Arthur Miller's plays where where you have these people who are kind of like achieving to be the the perfect purist person right. and they it's just not something they can achieve. And I, I feel like that's a struggle that maybe was happening in his own life, considering he left his wife for Marilyn Monroe and he had he had such a um, tumultuous relationship with with Marilyn Monroe. And I feel like it's it's this like very human struggle of you know i want to i want to be this image of me that i have in my mind and like accepting who you, who you yeah. really are absolutely well i mean like paris and the crucible is trying to appear as this this pious um you know this, this almost a paragon of virtue and it's a desperate sham uh, and I think of uh, Willie Loman in Death of a Salesman, oh. whose life is a desperate jam. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's it's no, I think you're absolutely right. That that's one of the strongest themes, and and I mean, especially uh, there's a foreshadowing of that in uh, a, a view from the bridge because in the beginning of the play, he tells a story about a boy who ratted out on people in the community who were there illegally. And, and called immigration and, and what a terrible thing this was and that the community was right to shun that boy. Which he does later because he doesn't see any other way to stop uh, Katie's marriage to Rodolfo once the two of them decide we're getting married. And I love that the lawyer is telling him, Alfieri is telling him, um, you know, he's trying, he's trying to find ways. He's like, well, this marriage has to be illegal somehow. It has to be illegal. And the lawyer is like, you just have to accept it. Yeah. It's legal. This is what this is. And he also, he, he talks about, it's not just legal, but morally. Morally, Mor- yeah. You are both legally wrong and morally wrong here. And the lawyer is the the first one to truly voice it more directly. The wife, Beatrice, brings up, you got to let her go. It ain't right for you to keep her here, all this stuff. Alfieri actually is the first to say, like, well, she can't marry you, can she? Yeah. And it's a dig. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't go further into that. But that's the first dig, and that's the first time you see you see uh, Eddie's really, really got, he's got gotten punched, right. basically, by that. And he starts to unwind after that conversation. He starts conversation. to unwind a little bit, yeah. and, then, and then towards the end, he's called immigration, and, you know... Everyone knows he did it, and he's shunned by the, the community. And he's in denial about it, but he's sort of being hermetic. He's he's retreated. But then when Beatrice, because uh, he won't go to the wedding, or he want, he's still objecting to the wedding, and B says, look, she can't marry you. It's now, like, it's the same thing Alfieri said before, like, but it's it's more direct and also it's actually more direct than that she says you can't have her Mm -hmm. and have is a very tricky verb right because what does that mean does that mean you you can't possess her does that mean you can't have sex with her like that can mean a lot of things and a lot of things at once as well and that's when he just snaps and then suddenly he goes from being hermetic and retreating and being in denial to actually just challenging what he knows was the truth but deliberately and, and very much like he's rewritten history in his mind. Mm-hmm. He's telling Marco, you lied. It's like, 
you're the liar here, Eddie. But it's almost like you have to wonder, has he convinced himself? Because he just can't face what he's become and that that might have been the reason or reasons when B, B uh, tells it to him. And it's, it's, it's absolutely collapsing. And, and so then we were talking about this in, in the play, actually two versions of, of the play. Because there's the original version where he tells Marco, you're going to tell people you lied because you know what's right and what's wrong which is such irony and then Marco and he fight and he and he dies. And then a couple of years later Arthur Miller revised that slightly where when he dies in the first version he sort of dies at Catherine's feet. In the second version a couple of years later Arthur Miller has him uh that Beatrice his wife cradles him in his arms. That's and, the version that is right. shown today mostly. Yeah. Right. And and he calls out for her B and it's 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 sort of a slight redemption because you sort of think in, in that moment it's the first time he's he expresses a need for someone because mm-hmm. even when he wants Catherine to stay it's not that he needs her to stay right it's this is for her good that's the first time he expresses i need someone and you could interpret that as like maybe in the end he realized he brought this on himself who knows uh in the Italian French movie version that was done some decades ago, which and was, you mentioned that was the first on-screen kiss in, that was shown in America between two men. Yes, yes, and and the way they played it, it's definitely an accusation. There, it, there doesn't seem there's not a lot of hint in that movie that Eddie might be uh, gay or bisexual or dealing with any kind of uh, queer feelings, and. Uh, which is different from um, Yvonne von Hove's version, which right. is it's like when I was watching, it was very clear to me that he was passionate about Rodolfo. Right, it right. It was a very passionate kiss. Which, which is a, a totally legit track. You can take it. Arthur Miller doesn't really come one way or the other on it. He leaves that up to you. And, and that movie version, uh, Eddie kills himself. Which is really interesting. Yeah, and, and so there's actually a stronger redemption arc there of... I've done so much bad. I I've done just... so much bad. I've become a... You can say it as like, it's a defeating thing. I've, I've done so much bad. I'm, I'm a monster and therefore I stop myself. Or I've done so much bad. I must restore honor. Mm-hmm. And so I'm killing myself. Like there are a couple... Even there, there are a couple ways you can take that. And then you were telling me, so this this version that you so saw... it's like... How did the fight go? The You have the same fight where Marco stabs... Um, stabs eddie and it's done in a very like stylized manner um and then basically it seems that everybody else kind of erupts into a fight around him and by the end everybody's lying on the floor everybody the whole cast is lying on the floor in pools of blood so to me you it kind of showed that you have this one dispute between these two people has just caused chaos across the community. And and that completely makes sense because that's even shown just when when Eddie calls in immigration, uh, he only means for Rodolfo really to get... But he also knows that Marco's going to get pinched as well. He knows, and he knows about Marco's family. And then at last minute, he tries to... But But that's because... Right, because when immigration is coming, he realizes that Marco and Rodolfo have gone to the room upstairs where there are yet two other mm-hmm. uh, immigrants who are there illegally. And so now it's like he was willing to sacrifice Marco. Who knows how bad he felt about that, but he was. But now two strangers. And, and again, you have to ask yourself, is it that the two extra strangers who had nothing to do with this at all are now suffering that that plays in his guilt? Or is it just, well, now the community is definitely going to know 
that that he was up to something because it's going to get traced, and now the community will know his shame. Is it more about? And the community I'm, does. I and mean, the when community you, does. Yeah. So is is he more fearful of I'm hurting too many lives at once now than I was prepared to, or I don't want to be in trouble? Right. Which which of those is it? And you can you can argue about that, but it is right there is already the ripple of in trying to stop this one thing you already were screwing up one life that you sort of accepted you would screw up and then two other lives and all those connected lives that you never even fathomed so that ending sort of it goes back to that it's it is very hamlet yeah it is very hamlet and you know i also read somewhere that um the title a view from the bridge is partially referring to where they are um as far as being uh forget they're like dock workers basically mm-hmm. so it, it's referring to their location in new york but it's also referring to the bridge in a community and you're you're bridging this community with the immigrant with the italian community that's coming over here and, and alfieri is is often seen as a bridge himself he he was an immigrant but at this point in the play has long established uh his his place in the states as a legal citizen and on top of that is a lawyer and and is in a pretty powerful position in the community and uh, a position of of influence. So he's sort of the he is that bridge point between the uh, Italian immigrants who are coming into this world and the authorities that they fear. And the version um, the version I saw, I just have like one last point I want to make. And the version I saw, um, the the cast doesn't speak with any accent whatsoever. Um, in, mm-hmm. in the 1962 movie, they speak with kind of uh, Italian accents. Yeah, Italian-American accents. Italian-American yeah. accents. Um, in the version I saw, nobody speaks with any accent, so it's supposed to be like this person could stand in for anybody, basically. Yeah. Sometimes you see it with bad Brooklyn accents. Right, yeah. right. And so, I, I mean, the only argument I have is the cast that I saw was white i mean the only person who wasn't white was the immigration official which um just it seemed weird to me that you know you wouldn't i guess if you're going to make this point of like this could be anybody you wouldn't kind of like mix up your cast more Mm. um so that i guess is the only argument i have yeah and, and also the you know we we tend to put this play in a certain time but even even the play itself like the it doesn't have a set time so during its first productions, some people saw it as this is happening today. Some people saw it as this is happening in the 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to have a set time. And, I mean, you've got some, you've got some Italian names and, and, like, direct references to Italy. There's certainly black people in Italy. Right. And <laughs> for one thing. And for another thing, like, you, you can mix up. There's so, there are other characters who have nothing to do with that direct lineage. That you can right, actually you have his mix friends who are the dock, yeah. the dock workers, um, you know. And again, it's like I don't feel like if you if you're doing this where you're not giving anybody an accent, you're trying to make it appear more universal. I feel like right. Then why don't you go with the the full step? Yeah, right. Exactly. I guess yeah. that's my only argument. Especially, then, yeah, a minimalist play. That's kind of the point. We don't have to make this look realistic to any one time period or culture. We're just here are the actors. Here's the voices. You know, judge it on the words and and the action, not. And to go to my earlier yeah. point um, about like people who like Hamilton, maybe you might like X Y Z. A lot of shows when I when I was studying in England, a lot of shows had um, mixed race casts, and 
the mixed race casts were so mixed race to the point that like somebody playing Hamlet's dad wasn't the same race as Hamlet and yeah. because they didn't see it as a necessity and they were mixing genders too because yeah. they were just figuring you know this person plays this role yeah. and that's what we need yeah. you get it right and so this I, is also a stage it's right. not actually a castle exactly yeah. exactly and i feel like that's to me it's the beauty of theater is that you can we're we're already suspending our disbelief. Like you yeah. can stick people in all these different roles just based on their ability to play that role, not necessarily and you, anything it, else. I think I think theater has much more power to do that than say film. There's something about film where we demand a little m- bit more of what we consider to be real, right? In it, and whatever that means is up to the different audience member. But we do have a little more of an expectation. Uh, you know, if someone. If someone's watching a science fiction movie, it's like, well, that alien looks fake. Well, it is fake. Uh, you know, it, it's it's sort of a funny complaint. Whereas in theater, you know, if if you're like, you know, and then a great storm came and someone just flashed a light and rush, rustles, you know, a piece of metal, a sheet metal. Mo- unless you're a jerk, most of us are like, sure. Storms, yeah, we're storms like, here. we got that. We storms got the here. storm signal. Yeah. Because the point is the concept. Right. Yeah. And that, I mean, and that's why I guess, like, again, going back to the first point, it's like the the idea that theater has to be something that somebody who from the outside came in and dictated upon it is just utterly ridiculous of course. to me. Um, but then again, it's like I also came from an avant-garde theater experience where in, in college, like, I literally had a bag of guts thrown on me as an audience member and didn't flinch. Um, and I was like, hey, it's theater. Yeah. So um, I'm encouraging you, you guys, to go out today and to either, you know, in, make your own diverse theater or go out and support support other plays. And, you, and it doesn't have to be, you know, like a play at a, at a big, like, Pantages level theater, which is our big theater here. Um, it can be your, your local community plays. Um, Shakespeare by the Sea uh, during the summers in, in uh, Long the, Beach, the Long Beach and really just Southern California area in general, because some of it is around like Irvine or uh, closer to Los Angeles. Uh, each each summer they do a couple of Shakespearean plays and it's it's delightful. It's free. It's just, you know, you're there to enjoy uh, Shakespeare by some folks who really are there just for the passion. You know, we have Shakespeare in the park, too, here. Um, I And I want to leave you guys with one quote. Um Denai Guerrera, who is from The Walking Dead, but wrote the play Eclipsed, which had Lupita Nyong'o in it. Ah. Um, she wrote this piece in American theater called Complacency is Not an Option. And I'll, I'll tweet it out on my Twitter. Broadway Breakdown's Twitter is at Broadway Be Down. Um, but she says, storytelling is and will always be a tool for awareness, for social change, for truth, and for communal reflection. Um, so I just kind of want to leave you guys with that last thought. Do you have any other? Oh, oh, and I want to say my um, my BFF Norm Lewis, my dream BFF Norm Lewis. I mean, like in my head, we're we're dating, but um, he is in. He's going to be in a production of Sweeney Todd in um, on Broadway with. Uh, starting in April and I think and ending in August of next year. So if you guys want to check out Norm Lewis, and this is what I mean, like support support um, those actors you like, follow them in all the productions they do. I, I, w- I would hope that some of our Broadway stars can become as big as as big as our um, movie stars. So Alan, where can the people find you? 
Uh, archives of my work can be found at alankistler.com. That's A-L-A-N-K-I-S-T-L-E-R. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at SizzlerKistler. And uh, I write for a bunch of different sites, so just keep up on Twitter of what I'm up to. Also, check out the podcast Crazy Sexy Geeks on SoundCloud. It's so good. Thank I'm you. I'm obsessed with this podcast. And you guys have to check it out. And uh, I published the New York Times bestseller uh, Doctor Who A History, which you can find at Barnes and Noble and Amazon.com. I also published the unofficial Game of Thrones cookbook, the unofficial Spider Man trivia challenge, and the unofficial uh, Batman trivia challenge. And I have work out in Doctor Who psychology. Star Trek Psychology, Walking Dead Psychology, and uh, yeah, I think that's it right now. I'm 123JackieP on all platforms. I have a blog. It's 123JackieP.com, and my Snapchat is JackieB123. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, I, I honestly forgot what show we're doing next week, but come <laughs> back next week. I haven't looked at the schedule. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.